chilling new original docuseries on Paramount Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean in a woman named Sylvie. To the can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and fifteen thousand dollars a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control all desire. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Orange and Brown Report. My name is Ian McBride. We are here to talk about everything Cleveland Browns. Had some news over the weekend, and I'm excited to be joined by Michael Keefe. Mike, how are you doing? Let's go, man. I'm doing great. I'm joining you from the state of Massachusetts, where I'm currently in the back of a car because we're hanging out at a beautiful brewery here. And uh, I figured maybe I shouldn't, uh, maybe I shouldn't. Are you get, Are you hearing an echo, Ian? I don't know. I'm hearing an echo. I don't know if that's a thing. I'm not hearing an echo from you, uh, but it might, it might be. Uh, that's right. You know what it was? But... My phone was playing something. No big deal. Anyways, <laughs> uh, I'm here with a group of people that are just kind of hanging out there. And I said, listen, uh, the OBR calls. And when the OBR calls, I come running. So I brought my computer, brought the microphone, sitting in the back of a car, ready to talk a little bit of Browns. Well, thank you for joining us. I really appreciate that. Uh, this is the first show that will be making its way onto uh, podcast platforms on Apple Music and on Spotify. Uh, our Twitch shows will now be heading over there. So that will be uh, awesome uh, for the people who can't catch us live and uh, just want to listen to us in the car on uh, on the way to work or something. Uh, you got that option there. Uh, we should have Jake Burns joining us later uh, on in the show as well. So uh, then Mike can go back to his Massachusetts duties. But uh, until then, very important You're, stuff, Ian. Yeah. Very important <laughs> stuff. Until then, you are stuck with me, and we are going to talk about the big news of the weekend, which is Let's go. County finally comes back as a Cleveland Brown signs a one-year deal worth up to $11 million. We don't have exact details on how much of that is uh, on what the up to means. It could mean roster bonuses that he will almost certainly get, or it could mean incentives that are sort of maybe, maybe not. But you have to expect most of that is going to be guaranteed money. Uh, it is reported by Ian Rappaport that he turned down two-year deals worth uh, up to 14 or $15 million. Now, that doesn't mean too much because we don't, uh, for all we know, that second year could have just been non-guaranteed. Uh, we, we don't know how much money was guaranteed. That's really the only thing that matters. So somebody could have offered him, hey, here's two years, $28 million. Only the first year is guaranteed in that instance. Uh, it's not really two years, $14 million. Uh, But... Either way, he is Cleveland Brown. He's back, and uh, yeah. we're happy to have him, and it's a very big deal. So he, first thoughts uh, on seeing the news, Mike. How, how excited are you to have Clowney back? I mean, I feel like, first of all, I love that we've got the music going on the background here. I feel just like yeah, it, it <laughs> sets the tone for everything we're doing I here. Turned it down, I turned it down to eight, and I forgot to I turn it all off. I love it. So no, I, I, it makes me feel like it, it's it's – OBR after dark time. It is. And, uh, and I like that. No, it, we don't have a lot of options for the music. The other options we have uh, Into Space. We have Daydreaming. We have something called Feeding the Ducks, which I've never been brave enough to click. But uh, those are those are our options. Never click Feeding the Ducks. Uh, <laughs> listen, uh, I think a room that we had questions about coming into the offseason looks pretty darn good from the draft and from trades and now from bringing Clowney back. I think when you talk about Winovich and Wright and, and Miles Garrett and Jadavion Clowney as your four primary edge rushers, I think you've got to feel pretty good about that. I think one, obviously Miles and Jadavion taking the majority of the snaps uh, throughout the season are that that's an ideal situation. Uh, I think 
but I think having those other two guys again, I think if you if you can get Winovich back to that, maybe not quite the level where he was like a, a very good pass rusher in this league. But if you can get him back to just being a good pass ru- pass rusher uh, uh, to spell either Garrett or Clowney at times, and obviously right in the draft, I mean, I feel really good about the situation they have there. And and again, I love Jadavion Clowney for reasons that nobody Jadavion Clowney was so misinterpreted as a yep. player from the moment he was drafted number one overall. He was misinterpreted as this sack machine monster. And he is a he will get his sacks. It will surprise literally no one on this planet if he wound up with 10 sacks next year. Literally yep. nobody would be surprised by that. But the things that he does at an elite level, stopping the run, chewing up blocks, allowing linebackers and other linemen to make plays. I mean, Jadeveon Clowney is so good at so many things that don't always get recognized on the stat sheet uh, at the end of a football game. And that's why I love having him back. I, You know, it was the, the speculation all offseason, right, Ian? Clowney's going to come back. They're going to try to get Clowney back. But then does Clowney want to go somewhere else? And are we sure they're going to get him back? So to have this thing wrapped up and done, uh, I feel really, really comfortable with what they've got going on with the pass rushers on that on that defensive line. Yeah, and uh, I'll pat myself on the back because one of the first uh, videos, I think it might have actually been maybe the first video I ever made for the OBR, was uh, talking about how Jadavion Clowney, his value is against the run more so than against the pass and how big a deal that is for the Browns. Uh, John Stephenson uh, for the OBR wrote up an absolutely brilliant article going through film of what Jadavion Clowney does. And one of the things that he really does uh, more than anything is he will line up uh, sort of between the tackle and the tight end. Yes. And what that means is uh, he's good enough. He is strong enough, big enough that usually the tackle isn't enough. That tight end needs to help. And when you have running plays, if that tight end needs to help on Clowney, that means there's a gap that's going to be open for one of the Browns linebackers. It's it's really so much of this defense is built around what he can do. And it's why they took Alex Wright is having a, a strong, big defensive end who not necessarily is the best pass rusher, but can set the edge against the run and make it so these guys like uh, Phillips and uh, JOK can can get after those running backs in the run. Uh, they don't have to worry about shedding on blocks. They can use their speed to the best of their ability because there's those open gaps created by Clowney. So absolutely huge. Definitely go check out that article by John Stephenson. Absolutely fantastic. Um, and this this helps uh, both Wright and Winovich too, I think, as much as anybody else on the team. Well, and listen, uh, oh, absolutely. First of all, take a guy like Alex Wright. And, and you know if you're an OBR fan, our man Corey Kinnon uh, is the biggest Alex Wright fan potentially of all time. And he has full belief that Alex Wright was the steal of the draft. And and we are all hoping that that faith and belief is right. Uh, You've just put this kid from UAB that is an athletic freak that kind of looks like Clowney and Miles Garrett body-wise. Yeah. And you've just put him with those two guys. What What a start to your career for this kid. Hey, you don't have to come in there and be like starting. Uh, we're going to expect you to get so many sacks, whatever. You just have to go out there and learn from two of the best in the game. What a way to set up the beginning of that kid's career. And and Winovich. I mean, Winovich, up and down career so far, but 
But now you are, you're, what you're doing for these guys is limiting your expectations for them. When you've got Clowney and Garrett out there taking the majority of the snaps, you limit the expectations for Winovich, which means he's probably going to exceed those expectations if he's healthy and he plays well. And that's a beautiful thing. That's what you're looking to see. So I think, I think what it does, I will say, I'm going to say this, you've got, a top-level premier pass rusher in the game of football on the other side of the line in Miles Garrett. Yeah, you've, I mean, he's he's somewhere between one and three, depending on what day it is. Correct. In terms of but, best pass rushers in the NFL. But if you want to nitpick Miles Garrett, it's that his singular focus, and that's okay because it's what he's supposed to do, but his singular focus is getting that quarterback. So how many times yeah. have we seen Miles Garrett get run at? Because yeah. – he will find himself a little too deep down the field or up the field trying to get to that quarterback. And all of a sudden there's a hole there. Or so like, if you want to nitpick miles Garrett, it's that sometimes he can be so singularly focused on getting the quarterback that sometimes there's some holes left on his side of the field. So I love putting him with, with Jadevian Clowney, because if you're miles Garrett, you can't help but learn a little bit from Jadevian as well. And again, it's not to say it's so nitpicky miles Garrett is premier pro bowl forever. Yeah, All pro. It's, it, it's the skill set he has, right? He has this insane bend. He can he almost goes like fully horizontal yes. when he rushes He's, the passer. So it would be wrong not to use that ability, right? Not to you know correct go around the tackle in the ways that he can. But yeah, but, it's but sometimes Jadevian can, can also Jadevian's also a freak. Yeah, and yet he still he is is such a controlled player that he always feels like he's in the right spot, and so. I, I think it's just good for everybody. I think it's good for everybody. And I think it's good for Jadevian to be able to be on the other side of the field for Miles Garrett. Yeah, uh, sure. And I think so, expectation-wise, too, at, at his yeah. point in his career, you know, a lot of people, if they their team signs Jadevian Clowney, they're going to be like, oh, former number one overall pick. We we remember him from that hit at Michigan. You know, we need him to come in here and be the – yeah, we need to come in here and be the best pass rusher in the world where the expectations here are – you know, Jadavion, we know what you're good at. Go do what you're good at. Uh, yeah, the expectations fans are, I think, a lot more fair. Yeah, I, I, I fully agree. I, I, I think this is. I think there are other areas where there may be some levels of concern, right? I think, I think the interior defensive line is still something we're worried about. I already saw a Perry and Winfrey comment in the in the comments here. I would love for I, I think Jake Burns said this in our little chat that we have, but like. Perry and Winfrey was a fourth round draft pick. Yeah. So let's everybody like step back on our expectations for Perry and Winfrey. I know he's, I know he's going to be a fan favorite personality yeah. wise, but there's a reason he wasn't a first round draft pick and not to say he's not going to be good. Cause that's not what I mean by this, but like, let's slow our roll on the, Hey, this guy's going to come in and dominate kind of conversation, but to have Jadevian Clowney and Miles Garrett, this this was the piece that just felt like it needed to happen this offseason. And so to see that it did, and that, you know, all the reports that other places offered him more money or maybe more years or whatever, and Jadavion said, nah, I'm going to go back to Cleveland and play there for another year. It's just, it, it, it feels like the piece that had to happen this offseason. Yeah, and um, the last thing, we'll, we'll move on to uh, some other stuff going on with the Browns. The last thing about Jadavion Clowney is I think, it it it's it's more it's bigger than a lot of people might think because I think a lot of the examples people were going to where okay this is the guy we pursue if Clowney isn't gone like uh, Jerry Hughes I don't know if Hughes is signed yet I think he did but he, he was did. somebody who was who was like brought Houston. up a lot 
yeah, he was somebody that was brought up a lot. It's like, okay, if we don't get Clowney, we go for him. But he doesn't have the size that Clowney has. He doesn't have the ability against the run. So the Browns would have had to kind of change up their defense in a, in a non-insignificant way uh, if they weren't able to bring back Clowney. So it's absolutely huge that they're able to bring him back. And I'm yeah. excited that Alex Wright is not going to be forced to be that guy. Okay, third-round rookie, go do everything. Because he has the skill set to do everything you need yes. a defensive end to do. And giving him that year where he doesn't really have to be a huge part of the rotation, where he can just kind of develop all of his skills and not have to just, okay, do this because it's working and we need something to work. I think that's that's absolutely huge for uh, this Cleveland Browns team and uh, the development of that defensive line moving forward, which has a lot of picks now uh, invested in it. We got a lot of you got the third round uh, from Alex Wright. Uh, we got two fourth round defensive tackles, a third round defensive tackle. Yes. Hopefully we start seeing some development. There's some internal development. Uh, so we don't keep having to talk about people like Akeem Hick, like the chat is talking about here, but it's, and maybe get some stability. It just is. Uh, you know what? The other thing I love about it is when you're going to have a good team and you're going to be given guys, the contracts they deserve, like Garrett, like Chubb, like Ward, like these guys, these contracts. And now you've got this quarterback contract. These are the guys that you want to see join your team. These are the veterans that are going to come in on one-year contracts, and maybe they're good, and you can bring them back on another one-year contract. But this is this is how you work the salary cap. This is how you work having a, a, a competitive, uh, hopefully, playoff slash Super Bowl contending roster and team. And yeah. so, I, I mean, just, the talent's there. I can't deny. It. I love it. I love it. All right, moving right along. Uh, this is sort of semi-related to the uh, Jadavian Clowney question, and uh, we're going to talk about something that is happening tomorrow, uh, which will unfortunately happen too late for us to live react to it on the OBR because uh, we will all be asleep. We all go to bed very early. <laughs> um, I think now, that... wait a minute. Now, wait a minute, because tomorrow <laughs> at 9 p.m. is the uh, Garage Beers guys... podcast. Uh... I think I think you guys will probably be done before it goes on too. Actually, uh, I I think it's really late tomorrow on HBO. Uh, they're doing the interview with Deshaun, a couple of Deshaun Watson's accusers, uh, and that is um, obviously something that is going to be uh, impactful. I think uh, in terms of how the public it reacts to Deshaun Watson and how. Um, and how the NFL is going to approach this because they're going to approach it. You need a lot of people comparing this to the Ray Rice situation, uh, which I think is a very different situation. But the one thing you can say is that public opinion swayed the Ray Rice situation in a significant way. And if that happens yeah. with Deshaun Watson, that's a big deal. Now, we don't know what's going to happen there. Uh, we don't know anything about what's going on HBO. I'm sure you'll start to see leaks. We will talk about it uh, on Wednesday, uh, maybe a little bit if the, if the tweets come out during the Garage Beer podcast. Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now.
When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are, number one, I think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen. They can hit on that tomorrow, but we will we will be covering that once we have all the information. It's not something we want to go into before we have the full uh, breadth of information. But one thing we can talk about is the reports from Brad Steinbrook that sort of implied a big part of Jadavion Clowney coming back was that the Browns had brought in Deshaun Watson. Uh, instead of Baker Mayfield. Let me get the exact quote. Uh, Genevion Clowney, uh, during the process where they uh, were pursuing Deshaun Watson, told Deshaun Watson he enjoyed playing for the Cleveland Browns organization before Watson ultimately decided to waive his no-trade clause. So they had already had contact. I believe they played together in Houston, so uh, oh, yeah. it, it makes some sense there. Um, let's We'll leave the Watson talk for uh, tomorrow and Wednesday, but let's talk about Baker Mayfield, and let's talk about this thing <laughs> that – <laughs> let's talk about this thing that keeps getting brought up <laughs> what a in terms of n- non-Browns fans uh, when it comes to you know this sort of thing how different the opinion is nationally for Baker Mayfield than it is for people inside the Browns locker room what is your opinion on this we've heard so many times okay like with Jarvis Landry he wasn't considering coming back until they brought in Deshaun Watson call it pro Deshaun Watson or anti-Baker Mayfield whichever you want to call it but it really is a shift uh, that we've been noting at least in terms of what we've been hearing Uh, do you think looking back on how this went the Browns handled the Baker Mayfield situation correctly incorrectly what could they have done better because that's that's sort of what this comes down to is a lot of people think the Baker Mayfield situation was handled poorly by the Browns, but we're getting a lot of information that suggests otherwise. I disagree with that completely. I don't think the Baker Mayfield situation, I don't know. There's this, here's this thing that is going on that is just the assumption is that they could have done something with him and that they should have. But you're not going to do something with this guy before Deshaun Watson says he's coming here. Like, I don't understand why people don't understand that. Uh, you're not going to get rid of Listen, would they have rolled into this season with Baker Mayfield if Deshaun Watson didn't come here? Yes, because I don't think they were going to roll with Jacoby Brissett. So you, if you were the Browns with Baker Mayfield, you were, you were in a position where you're going to play this guy Unless the other guy comes here. Well, the other guy came here. Yeah. What you couldn't have anticipated is everything else that happened. Yeah. You couldn't have anticipated the Broncos and Seahawks trading quarterbacks. You couldn't have anticipated uh, Matt Ryan getting sent to the Colts. You couldn't have anticipated some. And then you couldn't have anticipated some of these teams like the Seahawks, like the Falcons, like the Saints being like, yeah. We don't really want Baker Mayfield. Like, like, the Panthers, te- like the Texans. Like the Texans saying, yeah, we don't want Baker Mayfield. You couldn't have anticipated that. So it looks like the Browns are like holding this guy hostage. But the fact of the matter is they've got nothing to do with him right now. And, and what I don't want to see, I don't want to see them just make a move for the sake of doing it. 
Yeah. There is no, I've been saying this for weeks and weeks and weeks. There is no rush for them right now. They are in no rush because the, probably the ideal situation and this, uh, that sounds bad. Let me strike that. Cause we want no injuries. I don't wish anybody gets hurt. Yeah. I don't I, want anybody I, I, to get injured, but the ideal situation is that a, team, a quarterback spot opens up. Yeah. A team either has a, a Seattle goes into that training camp with Drew Locke and they go, Oh shoot, this is not <laughs> what we need. It's not and even they, Drew Locke. It's Geno Smith right now. There's no way. They, Locke. Right. Or Carolina goes into another camp with Sam Darnold and they go, Oh no, this is not going to work out. The ideal situation is that a team in camp realizes they need a quarterback. And now all of a sudden, because all this other bull crap comes out of, oh, teams are trying to stick it to the Browns for what they did, and they don't like how they handled the Watson thing and blah, 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 and the Browns have no le leverage. Well, when a team gets desperate for a quarterback, the Browns have all the leverage. And so there's just no reason for them to do it. First of all, because Baker's still around, Baker will never play another snap for the Cleveland Browns. Everybody needs to get that out of their heads. He is never playing for the Cleveland Browns again, so stop it. They're holding on because they're smart. Like that's that everybody's like making it out like they're making like they're stuck with him and they've totally messed this up. No, they still have him because they're smart. And they realize that at some point somebody's probably going to need a quarterback. And here they have Baker Mayfield and teams trade assets for quarterbacks. And that's the bottom line. So we'll see what happens. Uh give it a couple months. But there's no rush. Like, I, I just don't understand the rush that everybody feels with this. Yeah. And there's, first of all, I think Carolina will be, uh, might change their mind once they get Matt yeah. Corral and give him the playbook. And he realizes that there are plays in the NFL that aren't RPOs, which is just <laughs> going to absolutely confuse him. Uh, he may not be able to handle that. So Carolina might move on then. But um, I, that's, that's, I think you, you brought up something that really uh, sort of bugs me about this whole situation is the revisionist history with uh, what the Browns did. So there's, there's people, you know, in the NFL that, uh, you know, mostly fans, but there's certainly some reporters who have talked about how, oh, the reason no one is trading for Baker Mayfield is because the Browns made this move after everybody already got a quarterback, which is just not true. Atlanta right. needed a quarterback. Indianapolis needed. Indy a needed a quarterback. Right. Yeah. So you had the Carol. You had Carolina and Seattle as well. Houston. Look, Davis Mills. That's great. He he did better than you expect a third <laughs> You're a round nice guy. Yeah, he did better than you expect a third round quarterback to do. But Davis Mills is not a franchise quarterback. He's not the quarterback of the future. They just there's no point in them bringing in a quarterback of the future, especially with this class, when you know the rest of the roster looks the way it does. But you had like those teams that needed a quarterback that passed yeah. on Baker Mayfield. It was it, Baker when this first started came out and said, "I want you to trade me to the Colts," and the Colts yeah. said, "We're good." Nah, they didn't want him. They wanted a 37 year old Matt Ryan instead. And, and, you know, bet Ryan for a third round pick's a decent deal, but right. I mean, you could potentially be looking at the comparison where it's like, okay, you have Matt Ryan for like, I don't know how much he's making an absurd amount, uh, versus Baker Mayfield for 18 million. And it would cost less in terms of draft compensation to acquire Baker Mayfield and he's younger and they chose Matt Ryan instead. And that's, I, I'm not saying Baker Mayfield's a bad quarterback in, in, in any way no but, but, but let me let me pause you there for one second because you just hit on the exact thing that i was going to say sure the problem with a situation like this it's like politics 
it sends everybody the edges. Yeah. It sends everybody to their, their sides and they got to be on a side. The fact of the matter is this Baker Mayfield in the, in the, in the year that he was hurt was really bad in the year that he wasn't hurt before that for about nine of those games in that year, he was really good. He was really good. And he led them to the playoffs and he led them to a playoff win. And he damn near led them to another playoff win. And so there doesn't need to be this, like, I'm a Baker person or I'm not a Baker person. The fact of the matter is, give them truth serum. And Baker Mayfield tells you that Deshaun Watson is a better quarterback than him. I, don't I mean, know. Uh, I he, mean, to play quarterback in the NFL, I don't know. <laughs> I'm just saying, you're the best. I'm just saying, well, I meant if you, if you, if you, if you drugged if him heavily, it, if you yeah. drugged him heavily, like, <laughs> You don't, I don't, we have this thing where we just, you shouldn't hate Baker Mayfield. He did yeah. good things here. And, and the, and he, and, and the more that comes out, it's going to keep looking worse for Baker Mayfield because I don't think he was a great locker room guy. I think he was immature, but everybody would tell you Baker Mayfield's immature. He's been immature forever, but he was and, also and a pretty decent also, player. He also he also wasn't immature at the Johnny Manziel level, right? No, I think that's where Jesus. that's where separating. Yeah, he wasn't he, doing he, coke in the bathroom. Yeah, it's not like Baker Mayfield didn't have you know the effort or the want to in the same way that Johnny Manziel did. You, you know and what I think, I'm talking about? It yeah, was it was I, it was, I did absolutely. I just wanted to. Sorry. When when Miles Garrett hit uh, what's his face in the head with a helmet, and Baker Mayfield came on TV afterwards and like really kind of weirdly called him out on national TV. There was a time where you looked at him and you went, uh, maybe you could have said that like in the locker room, but maybe don't say that on TV. You know what I mean? There were just moments like that. And then obviously the whole Odell Beckham thing went down and it very much appeared to be, there was this rift in the locker room and all the players in the locker room were talking about how much they loved Odell and nobody said anything about Baker. And you got Odell's dad doing Baker videos and stuff like yeah. that. Baker wasn't the most popular guy in the locker room. And so he did good things here and he didn't do terrible things here. And he wasn't Johnny Manziel level embarrassing. And that pains me to say forever because as a Texas A&M Aggie man, I really was behind Johnny Manziel. ATM Aggies. But that guy did so much Coke and just hated football. <laughs> and it just, what are you going to do? Baker wasn't doing that. He wasn't. So it just, for me, you can be in the middle somewhere and just be like, yeah. I'm glad they upgraded from Baker because I am glad they upgraded from Baker, yeah. but I also wouldn't have been mad if they went into the season with Baker because he showed that he could do some stuff when he's healthy. So like, we don't have to be doing this, playing this whole game of like, you either hate him or love him or whatever. Yeah. You can just be like, I respect what he did. We moved on. Everything's fine. But the, the best way to describe the Johnny Manziel era oh, is God. that Kyle Shanahan, the year Johnny Manziel after after that year he put together what like a a forty page PowerPoint on why the Browns should let him go of his contract because he was like dude. I am not going down with this ship not even a little dude and, and, and you know who I you know who I still feel worse for for that and I didn't even like him that much and actually actually we brought him up to Joe Thomas when we had him on Garage Beers and Joe Thomas's face was like uh. but like <laughs> I still feel bad for Mike Pettin like yeah. And maybe I maybe I shouldn't feel as bad because clearly he wasn't the most popular guy. But like, imagine being that coach that had to put up yeah. with that. Oh, oh that let's was, just do a whole show on Johnny Manziel again, like we just could. to relive it. 
I mean, Brian Hoyer is probably, you know, second or third most. He's probably the second or third most successful Browns quarterback uh, Uh, since they came back, which is absolutely ridiculous. It goes like one Baker Mayfield to Tim Couch slash Kelly Holcomb. You can throw them kind of together. But it goes back to, and it goes back to, and I don't want to make it a big Deshaun Watson thing, but I will say this. There's going to be an interview tomorrow night. Tomorrow night, yes. And and now you've got Deshaun Watson's lawyer coming out trying to offset some of this stuff that the yeah. lawyer for the accusers are doing it and all that. Here's, here's the only thing I'm going to say. If you're really bothered by this situation to the point where you can't even do this anymore, and we had people with the OBR that were like that, you're that's okay. You're not yep. wrong. You're not wrong. If you're not bothered by it, or or if you're if you're bothered by it, but you can still be a fan of the team, you're not wrong. Yep. The fact of the matter is this, and this is what needs to be said, and I don't know why we don't do this more. Nobody knows anything except for the people that know something. So you can formulate all the opinions you want, and you can have the feelings that you want, and you're not wrong. But don't treat other people like you're right and they're wrong. Don't treat other people like you're right. So if if you can look past the Watson thing and be a fan, but somebody else can't, don't don't give them shit. Uh, sorry, don't give them stuff about it. Yeah, don't, don't, don't be a jerk about it. But at the same time, if you are bothered by it, don't treat people like like they're wrong for being able to look past it. Yeah, Nobody I, knows anything except for the people that know something. And I, I think I think the idea is, and this is sort of the position I'm in, where I'm I'm not 100. If I'm going to still be able to root for this team, I I'm going to have to see when the season starts because I can't tell you whether I can root for a guy like Deshaun Watson until I'm put in a position where it's like, Fine. okay, there's Deshaun Watson with the rest of my guys. Can I actually do this? But I think the big thing is like the, the people that are still Browns fans. It's not like they're thinking, oh, this is totally no big deal. Right? They're thinking, I got a Nick Chubb jersey there. You know, I got a box of Chubb Crunch. I I I see how I much <laughs> I I go under it. <laughs> I I see the ridiculous <laughs> amount of charity work that Miles Garrett does. I want to root for these people because they've been my guys for years and years and years. I want to still root for these guys. And it just so happens that this person who I absolutely hate happens to be the quarterback. And you sort of have to balance like. I want to see Nick Chubb have success. I don't want to say, okay, I hope the Browns are bad until Deshaun Watson leaves. I don't want the rest of Nick Chubb's career to be wasted. I don't want the rest of Miles Garrett career to be wasted. It's, it's, that's, it's, it's so difficult to really pinpoint exactly how you feel about something and nobody should really discredit anyone for feeling in any way about it. That's it. Ian, if you decide that you can't do it anymore, man, that's okay. And, and, and it's understandable. Nobody should say a word to anybody. There's people like me where I have just, uh, I have separated morality and sports for a long time. And I don't know whether you think that's right or wrong, but like, I don't get my morality from sports and I don't pass them on to sports because I've rooted for some real bad people in my time. <laughs> and so it's just not a thing. If, if all this stuff were to come out and it's true and I can formulate a judgment, it just is, that's a thing. But uh, my whole point was, when you watch these interviews and when you watch what Deshaun Watson's uh, attorney is saying, understand that they're trying to get you to believe a certain way on their side. But if you weren't there and you don't know, then you don't know. So, so don't judge other people for how they think too. 
Yeah. And that, that's my only thing, because I feel like this is going to blow up in the next couple days. Oh, it is. And it's going to be it's going to be fun. <laughs> I watch people yelling at each other on Twitter. And I'm like, you don't know anything yeah. and you don't know anything. Why are you yeah. yelling at each other? Just just appreciate your opinions. Anyways, there's a uh, a celebrity waiting in the wings and I want to make sure we get to that person. <laughs> uh, yeah, we've got Jake Burns. Let's bring him in here. Jake. Uh, celebrity. So yeah. Celebrity. <laughs> Where is have he? Met you? Have you met you? I've not. <laughs> You're Thank kind of God. a big deal. Thanks. So God. we uh, we talked about it earlier in the show, but let's uh, <laughs> let's jump into your opinion. Um, specifically, we talked a lot about what John uh, Stephenson wrote uh, about Jadavion Clowney um, and sort of the position he plays. Um, mm-hmm. I, I did my best to summarize that, you know, being kind of a, a layman here, but uh, as as a more as the film expert here for the OBR, your opinion on Jadavion Clowney, how big it is that they were able to bring him back? Yeah, I think it completes it completes what's known, right? Like there, there's a lot of unknown elements on the defensive line. I think we still don't know what to expect from a lot of these defensive tackles. Elliot, unfortunately, we still don't know. Tommy Togiai, we don't really know yet. And then obviously Perion's a young guy. So there's a lot of unknowns. And then, you know, Winovich is coming over and has had some nice seasons before, but coming off a rough year where his trade value was equivalent to Mac Wilson, you know, yeah. and then and then obviously you draft Alex Wright as a third-round guy. You don't really expect third-round guys to get a lot of snaps. And then Isaiah Thomas as a seventh-rounder. It's just a lot of unknown there. doesn't mean – that's the thing about the NFL, in my opinion, is the known can be good, but it can also be bad. You think you have, like, for example – you know, John Johnson's start to last year. You were really excited right. about him. You knew that player was going to be good. And eventually he found his way, but he was struggling for a while. And it's the same with some of the unknowns. Sometimes the unknown can still end up yielding good results. So it's not to say that it was decided, but you really wanted to have some sort of solidified approach to how they play edge. And Clowney's really good at that strong side edge role with the Browns certainly funnel all of their run game inside and allow their linebackers and safeties to get downhill as a means to eliminate portions of the field. And he really is a nice strong side edge who plays run to pass first, which is uh, which is a key component for him. And he can set the run, set the run edge in many ways. He can use speed, he can use power and is just a, just a difficult player to block at the, at the point of attack. So really, really think it helps solidify so much about, about what they are now, I'm not. I'm not going to call the Browns' defense loaded or anything crazy. I, I think they've got a nice group, but it 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 helps you feel better about some of the biggest concern that you had about this group. Um, yeah, absolutely. Mike uh, is going to uh, head out. Thank you for joining us. Uh, go enjoy they, Massachusetts people, to the fullest. They want to go to dinner, so I have to get out of the car. <laughs> I got to use the car for car things. That's ridiculous. I know. Ridiculous. Utterly ridiculous. Thank you for joining us. I really appreciate your time, Mike. Garage beers tomorrow, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and then Thursday on all podcast platforms. So go check that out. Make sure to uh, give that a watch. Thanks, Ian. See you, Jake. See you, Ian. See ya. Bye, everybody. Now, let's talk a little bit about. Um, Alex Wright and Chase Winovich. So we were sort of in between, um, you know, we, we didn't really know how they were going to be used because we didn't really know who was going to be in front of them. Now that Javion's clowny, clowny is back, how do you expect Alex Wright and Winovich to be used in this defense? Well, I think Alex Wright is a pretty easy plug and play as a role player behind 
um, Clowney. I think that makes sense. He's trying to be a strong side edge. He's got the body type for it, the play style for it. I think that it is a um, uh, I, I, let me let me say this. I think there is a a pretty good chance he's going to be a solid NFL player just because of the fit and what he does well, how he converts speed to power, but is able to sort of anchor against doubles and crash and play with some speed when he needs to. So I like him. Um, I think he's an easy play there. He could also be a guy that if they bump Clowney inside or vice versa, um, they can they can do that. So I think he's a fit there. And then Winovich, to me, is a pass rush specialist. He does not play the run game all too well. So to, to me, the glove fit here is a guy who can come in in predictable pass situations, Ian, and also be a backup rotational player for when they need to give Miles a break too. So those two I kind of see as obvious fits behind uh behind those two players on the front line and uh as far as the rest of the defensive line goes we do have questions uh, constant questions that ask the insider specifically about players uh let's talk about not about the players that might be added to the roster let's talk about the players that are on the roster uh and on five three five nine nine one uh nine nine one four brings up uh sort of how Clowney makes the rest of the defensive line depth look better um, he talks about guys like uh, Jordan Elliott who are going to be now fighting for a roster spot rather than maybe being relied on. Uh, how do you feel about the D-tackle room? I mean, obviously it hasn't changed, but do you think it's a little bit more workable now that they have Jadavion Clowney maybe filling some of those weaknesses? Yeah, they can bump some of these guys inside in predictable situations. It does alleviate. I mean, it's. I mean, if he's healthy, it's a 900-snap player who can play really well, right? So yeah. you obviously think you can get quite a bit from him. Um, but yeah, it, it helps to alleviate some of the inside rush concerns helps to alleviate the, the rookie on the field situation in an unknown spot at an unknown defense for him. It helps the, 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 the timeline for somebody like Alex Wright and Isaiah Thomas to find, to find what they do well and be a little bit more niche based, if that makes sense, Ian, in their first yeah. and second year. Um, but, but we'll see how that shakes up. But yeah, I mean, a, a thousand snaps on the edge is the goal for him. He can be, a as, as we all know, a very effective player off the edge. They can bump him inside. He can do some things inside. So he helps to alleviate and bolster some of the concerns that we've had about the interior as well because we know, uh, basically seeing it last year, how well he can do some things in there when asked to do some things in there. So it allows Woods to get more creative in those third and pass situations, which he likes to do, some creative, unique fronts where he'll slide everybody to one side and give Miles a one-on-one, but also re really creatively blitz and um, you don't lose a ton of uh, a ton of versatility in the position that Clowney is. So yeah, I think the, the way to phrase that is he just does. It has a way of making you feel better about everything across the defensive line, even though he's just uh, he's just truly an edge, you know. Yeah. Uh, let's talk a little bit more about that interior defensive line. So there's obviously a lot of people talking about bringing in another one. Uh, Akeem Hicks is a name that always gets talked about. And I think it's pretty likely that the Browns will bring in someone uh, in that interior defensive line. But let's talk about the guys who are maybe less uh, – we have less of an idea of what they can bring. And those are the three draft picks. It's Jordan Elliott, Tommy Togia, and now Perry and Winfrey. Out of those three, uh, do you have any expectations for any of them? Which one do you think is maybe most likely to make a contribution this year? Yeah, I think I think Winfrey will have the single most opportunity, I think, because he has a chance to really start, which yields the highest number of snaps, which gives you the highest chance of making something important happen, right? So yeah. 
I think Winfrey makes the most sense, even though I think Ian people's expectations for a fourth round pick are pretty high. Maybe yeah. some of the highest expectations for a fourth round pick in this draft. I mean, I think David Bell's competing with some of the highest expectations for a third round pick. Now yeah. this is probably rooted Ian, is that people equate the first two picks the Browns make into being first and second round picks when yeah. they weren't right. They're third and fourth round picks. So I think that that some of that is tied to these are the first two guys, the Browns, some of the first two guys, I should include Martin Emerson there. Some of the first guys they picked at positions where we need some production. So we're going to have high expectations. I would again, tell you to lower those expectations. I think Winfrey's going to be a nice player in the right situations. Going to talk to somebody who knew their college scheme well to get a feel for how they operated uh, to give you a better picture of why his, his college tape was the way it was sometimes. So, um, but yeah, I think of those three to me, it's, it's a path there. I think Wright has a chance to have a nice path too, but it's, it's again, clowning out eats into a lot of what we projected their snap count wise, but that doesn't mean he can't have a, you know, a, um, what's his, what's his name? Uh, Torres Achilles attack McKinley type, uh, impact as a rotational player where you can get 400 snaps, right? If you can play like your hair's on fire and 400 snaps, right? You have a chance to, to make some plays in those snaps. So we'll see. You mentioned Martin Emerson there, and there's an interesting um, uh, you posted about this a couple of days ago um, when they were talking about Martin Emerson uh, and their sort of draft strategy. Uh, they said, candidly, I've told you guys before, we look at it like we have an expansion team and we try to take advantage of the opportunities that are there. Um, is that I think uh, is that something you see in their draft approach? Uh, because I, it, it sort of surprised me considering you've gone Greg Newsom, Jedrick Wills at the top of the draft, which were very much need picks, um, but I guess also happened to be you know the top player on the board. Uh, yeah. So what's your opinion on that draft strategy and uh, how it applied to Emerson? I think you can you can only go so crazy on so many players at some positions. I think you do eventually have to draft for a need, right? What yeah. you hope for is that there's a mesh of need and availability, right? That's the beautiful thing. Think Jed Wills two years ago. Think think Greg Newsom last year. It's kind of a perfect mesh. So that's the hope. But, you know, in this case, you really – a lot of corners is not a problem, Ian. I mean, I think you yeah. can use them. The thing that struck me as interesting is – how quickly they moved off of Troy Hill. So that move off of Troy Hill tells me that they had a plan in place the whole time. We'll see what that plan turns into. Maybe Martin Emerson's a bigger body for bigger slots that keep showing up in the NFL, right? You need a bigger guy to combat that physicality on routes. So that's an angle that they could end up taking with him. They could want to play Greg Newsom inside a little bit, could want to play a third safety, Grant Delpit, Ronnie Harrison, something along those lines. So I don't think it's a problem if you account for it. They accounted for a way of, hey, we're going to push off Troy Hill's contract and move him and get a pick in next year's draft. And then we also replaced him with a guy we feel pretty good about in the third round. So I think yeah. that that plan can can be fine overall. I think that works to an extent, but you you know I think you you have your core positions that you're always looking to draft based on the cycle of rookie contracts you have. And then you're sort of making decisions around those core positions. And I get the expansion draft angle. They don't want to sit here and say, well, we're good this year when you're not looking at the three, four, five year projection. Right. So there's a little bit of that that goes into it. And the thing that I think people have to understand is that 
Andrew Barry is very public facing with something he'll say. And then I'm sure he's behind closed doors saying something different. It's just, it's just, he doesn't, he doesn't want to give anything away in public. So I get what they're saying to an extent, but also they're, they're definitely looking at their, their own specific situation and how that sort of looks at going about the next few years. Yeah. Um, and I think that you mentioned the Troy Hill trade, um, for a lot of people who were, weren't really a fan of the Emerson pick, that Troy Hill trade makes it, makes it feel a lot better when, you know, the guy he's effectively replacing on the depth chart, you're able to get a fifth round pick for, uh, and replace, you know, a, a guy who's making a decent amount of money with a guy on a rookie contract. That's just what you do as an NFL GM. Um, we have hit the 745 mark. So Jake, uh, any, any final thoughts, any thoughts uh, for the week coming up, uh, about the Cleveland Browns? No, I think they made the move we're all expecting them to make. I think that's going to be pretty quiet outside of the chaos that is to come with the HBO show and all that. But yeah, uh, on the on the personnel front, I think it might be quiet until they unlock some of the June first money that's out there with Austin Hooper and some of that stuff that they'll recoup here next week. So yeah, I don't I don't expect anything too crazy. Should be quiet, but I think your Browns, from a personnel standpoint, are in a pretty good position. Yeah, not too much left to do outside of maybe bringing in a, another inter, interior defensive lineman, maybe another wide receiver, but that's the stuff we've been talking about for months. Uh, big question mark off the board with Jadavian Clowney returning to the Cleveland Browns. For Mike Keith, for Jake Burns, my name is Ian McBride. Thank you for joining us. We will be back next week with more Browns news. Have a wonderful night. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts.